Hi, welcome to Conversations with Sammy. I am your host, and I'm so glad you're here. I believe in the miraculous impact of a powerful storytelling. And right here is where I invite everyday people like you and I to share their real, raw, and unedited journeys. In our conversations, we express our feelings, we celebrate our struggles, we share our visions, and together we aim to live a more fulfilling life. In this conversation, I speak with Stephanie Wanzietveld. After hitting a complete emotional, spiritual, and physical bottom, Stephanie was out of ideas. We talk about her journey to sobriety, what it takes to be her authentic self, the publishing of her first book, and our connection with higher power. Enjoy. Hi. Hi. How are you? Hi. I am well. I am. I feel so much joy. I have no idea. This anticipation oh. has been building up. Oh, I'm that's so happy. awesome. That's good. I'm so glad. I tend to have anxiety around these things. So I'm glad that um, I'm so happy to hear that you are feeling the excitement side of it. That's awesome. Well, anxiety is always there. That's just how it goes. But I am just filled with gratitude and, and joy right now. I love having it. you here. Well, yeah. thank you so much. And honestly, like I'm, I, uh, I apologize. I'm a little tired. It's been a, it's been an intense week, but I also trust that like it's all happening as it should. And so, um, you know, I feel like it's going to be really good in terms of like having the real truth come across instead of like some sort of dressed up response. So, and I just really appreciate, yeah, being able to be on your show. I'm excited. My show sounds so serious. This is so (laughs) still new for me. And, you know, every time um, I'm about to record with, with someone, I have this court like perfectionism kicks in I'm like okay you know what, what to say how to start oh, I need to bring in sure. value I don't want to bore the speaker what if people never come back blah blah blah, blah. and today I'm like I know we're we're both spiritual beings and I'm just gonna invite in universe and let us let us yes. know and yeah just very natural raw and edited I don't touch my conversations I I post them as they are so I think I love it yeah, uh, but still, I I was thinking. So, where should I begin in terms of you know your story? And I'm just gonna go with the big thing you're you're doing right yeah. now, and you just have produced this beautiful thing to the world, which is a book. Mm-hmm. You have written and published your book. Is this your first book? Yes. Um... Congratulations. Thank, I am, thank you. I am holding it in my hand as we speak. Mm. So I'm just going to fuss a little bit about it. Um, okay. How much I love it. You know, I picked it up six days ago. So I had the time mm-hmm. to read it. I finished it last mm-hmm. night. And so, you know, this was an experiment for me, experiment and experience. You know, reading a book written by somebody I know in person is mm-hmm. a different experience than reading a book from uh, a bookstore, you know, author that is somewhere wow. out there. So thank you for this mm. uh, thing you created. And it's like, I could hear your voice with every word I read and you're hilarious. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> thank you, Sammy. That means, that means so much to me. 
I, I love the cover. I love the black and gold. And the name of your book is I am gold dust and you are too. Mindfulness and authenticity in the workplace. Mm. So, yeah. Thank you for doing it for the humanity. And I got to know you a little bit more through your book. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I want to ask a question because you mentioned, you know, you're a recovering perfectionist. So am I. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How does a perfectionist finish a book without <laughs> writing it forever and ever and ever? Oh, my gosh. Sammy, that is the, that is the best question. Um, <laughs> okay, so the first, uh, the first thing I'll say is, it even before we even before we get to that you know your your comment about like it's it's um it's a new experience to read a book especially I mean it's yes I'm talking about authenticity in the workplace but I I didn't know how to do that without bringing in some really personal uh stories because it kind of helps set up like I don't I don't uh, choose to do this work. If I could get away with being fake and wearing the masks, you know, that worked for the first 31 years of my life and, and it worked really well. And honestly, if, if it still worked for me, I would probably still be doing it because it's just an easier way and it's much more accepted um, and we get rewarded a lot more for that. The problem is it stopped working for me. And so I, I could not find a way to tell this story without having to reveal some of the uglier, darker sides of where I'd been in my life and some things I'd been through. And, um, and so in that sense, there's a, you know, I had to be really vulnerable. And so it's in the same way that it's a strange experience to read a book by someone, you know, it was very hard for me to I, I was used to sharing these dark parts of myself in recovery rooms, you know, uh, 12-step recovery, mm-hmm. because, and that I knew there was a healing quality to it. I knew that that was how I was able to relate to other people and actually, st- you know, get well, get sober, stay sober. Um, but I, so I know, I knew that there was healing in it. But it's very different to be writing these truths and writing them over and over and over. Like there were so many drafts of this book and a lot, a lot of stories that, you know, I really just trusted that my intuition would show me what belonged in there, what didn't. Um, And so a lot of, you know, there are a lot of things that did not make it into the book. And I think that was correct. But there were still, you know, the bulk of things that did make it in there were stories that were very vulnerable and it was really it has been and I'm still living this it's been it's one thing to to make that leap and show your true self to somebody else when you're having a conversation one-on-one or it's a smaller group and you can get that kind of immediate feedback and usually my experience is uh you know that you get that closer connection you get that closer human connection because you realize, hey, I'm not so different from you, vice versa. We we do share a lot of the same struggles. Mm-hmm. It's been much more challenging to put that out into the ether and not know if people are uh, if people are reading it at all, if they're reading it and hating it. If they're, I mean, like it's really allowed that my inner critic to just come up with a whole new list of 
questions and scenarios for how like my my life as a writer is done this is probably going to tank my professional career that I still you know like all those things so so that's been different but what um you're uh, I would not I am still baffled by the fact that this book is published too and I think the only reason that this referring to me, this perfectionist, you know, recovering perfectionist was able to publish a book was, was because I had a bunch of people around me who were also working on books. I had a lot of um, people who'd been through this before editors and, uh, you know, marketing editors and uh, copy editors and all of that to keep sort of reassuring me, hey, this is normal. No book ever feels like it's done. You just get it to a point where, okay, this is good as this book is going to be. And at some point you have to mark a line in the sand and, and get it out into the world. But, um, you know, I, I do remember the very, uh, you know, those, man, it's funny right before quarantine, this, this published pretty much right at the beginning of quarantine. So that was clearly not in my roadmap, but I really had been sheltering in place for the almost the previous year writing this book. So it's like, if I wasn't at work or I wasn't, you know, kind of like Mm -hmm. doing the other things in my life, I was holed up in my apartment, uh, writing and working on this. And so I, I, you know, there were multiple feverish, weeks before each successive deadline, just trying to make those deadlines. And, and uh, yeah, I don't know, I, I still had to sort of like hold my breath and press send. I think I was like two hours past the submission deadline uh, on the night of just because there were some formatting things. And, and then I found out, I mean, there's still people from my cohort that are that are published. Anyway, it, it was it all ended up being okay. And I just had to trust that like, all right, this mm-hmm. is I've done the best that I can do. Now I have to just trust that this is as good. This is exactly how it's supposed to be for my first book. And, um, and so, so far, you know, it's the thing that means the most to me is hearing people like you one to know that you even took the time to read it. That still baffles me. I don't finish every book that I read. And I, I mean, and these are from people who are phenomenal authors. It says nothing about the, the author. It's really about my attention span, which is incredibly short. And then um, I always thought that publishing a book was about being able to say, yes, I've published a book or I'm a published author. The thing, what has blown me away is my heart gets the most joy and excitement out of hearing people say that they've read it and then see, or like seeing the little I'll get texts from friends showing me like a little section that they highlighted or a story that they like. And it's, it's knowing that like, Oh, wow. I, I was being, I'm being used. Like somehow I was a channel for this message, either painful things that I went through or stories that interested me about other people that I shared or, you know, just, I I don't know. It's, it just, I've, it's helped me feel like I'm a part of something so much bigger than myself. And also it's, um, I don't know. I can't, I, I can't really, I haven't really been able to take it all in either. Cause like, this is something I've wanted to do pretty much ever since I was, I know for sure since second grade, but probably earlier. And yet I just turned 40 a couple of weeks before it published. So, you know, it's, 
just because I wanted to do it and made attempts at it, you know, I trust mm-hmm. that it was the right time. But anyway, yeah. Wow. It's like a little girl's dream come true, basically. You yeah. you wanted it in your entire life and the timing <laughs> is now. And, you know, it takes a lot of damn courage to to create something and put it out there into the world, regardless of the mm. fear, the crazy chatter, the the whatever goes on in the moment of you know, showing your art. Yes. And it's so congratulations. Um, Thank you. I, I love that. And yeah, I, I have notes, I have underline, I have band mm. pages, I have retangled. <laughs> I, I mean, an hour is not even enough. Like I could talk about your, your life story here in this book for all day. But um, I, Thank you. I love to hear myself talk. So <laughs> probably best, it's probably best that we're. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I learned a lot, you know, and it's beautiful that the relating part, you know, to another human being, ordinary woman out there in the world, doing the best that she can with what she has, and the ability to relate to somebody as ordinary as I am is is just a gift. And I use the word ordinary, because for me, you know, in the last couple years, when I started my healing path, like letting go the nuts fantasy that I lived by chasing it was I'm still working on it and like enjoying this peaceful regular life without um wanting to be this I don't know a a worldwide somebody and and that Mm. was within me ever since I was little and I didn't realize that it started so young and you know, going back to you, in your first chapter, you also uh, start by saying, you know, ever since you're a little girl, you pretty much had this vision of your life. And I think um, this is a great topic to uh, to dwell into for women and men. You know, we grow mm-hmm. up in this kind of a, a, a book written by the manual of life, so to speak, that we think mm-hmm. we must follow. And I don't know if you notice, but I feel like a lot of adults start crashing in their thirties or so when they realize like, that's not me. I'm not living my life. What the hell? Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, go ahead. And, and I want you to share a little bit and I'll pitch into, um, just so we touch on this, this life we live that we awaken from Mm -hmm. what, what, what was your vision of your perfect life that you were striving for? Um, yeah, so my vision, I mean, I, I share a story in the book where, you know, when I was a kid, uh, one of my, so this, what, depending on the age of your listeners, uh, you know, bear with me, because I had an analog childhood, and then a digital adolescence and, and, uh, and after that, you know, but, but back in the days, back in the days before we had the internet, (laughs) we used to get these uh you would get catalogs in the mail and they were they weren't like the you know the little pamphlet flyer catalogs that come out and have you know 50 pages or so of like things that you can buy um it was you know the jc penny catalog was like the size of a phone book again another thing that we don't have anymore <laughs> but but um you know, it would, it would, we'd get this JCPenney catalog and I would sit down and I would see, you know, I would go through and I would basically, you know, pick out, okay, well, this is what I want to look like. And then I would go to the kids section and be like, this is, these are my children. Okay. You know, and I always wanted to have 
girls. I don't know what that was about, maybe because I had a sister and I just didn't, I don't know, still hated boys or whatever. But, you know, and then I would also pick out a dad because, of course, like, so I, I'm doing all these like heteronormative things that are just sort of, just sort of like, oh, this is what, this is kind of the, I'm using air quotes, American dream is, you know, I'm going to have a husband and two. 2.5 kids and we're going to live in this house and I'm going to have this couch and we're going to wear these things you know it was very much about the material mm-hmm. and uh now I think we would call those like vision boards you could do this on Pinterest what have you but um even as I grew even as I got older and knew that life wasn't just about finding a guy that matched you know what your personal sense of style was <laughs> Um, or, you know, or frankly, even, you know, if I was attracted to men, those kinds of things, um, I still had this idea that like success looks living a good life, being a success, or maybe more importantly, not being perceived as a failure in air quotes involved. I got to have this kind of job, this kind of bank account, drive this kind of car. My outsides need to look this kind of way. And my approach to life was, all right, if that's the end point, then I'm going to reverse engineer every situation in my life so that when I start pushing down those dominoes, they end up cascading and and ultimately filling out a picture that looks like the one that I want. And that method of approaching the world worked for a really long time. It helped me get good grades in school. It helped me, you know it kind of, it just gave me a lot of clarity. I didn't have to really deal with the stuff that hurt in the present because, Hey, you know, you might like, for example, you, I might not be popular in school now, but 20 years from now, when I'm driving this kind of car and I got this kind of job, well, then you're going to wish you were my friend, that kind of thing. Or, and I so relate to that idea of like, Oh, I'm going to be famous. And I, this, I still have that. There is still a part of me, some, you know, some part of me that like thinks if I had that, then I would be happy. I don't know where that comes from. And thank God I don't let that run my life anymore. And, you know, and honestly, I don't even know if that would make me happy. I really like my anonymity. I really like that I can go kind of do whatever I want and people leave me alone. You know, like it's, I don't have to, anyway, but aside from that, like it, you know, it was very difficult to sort of hit this point in my life where, you know, on paper, everything looked great. I'm dying inside to numb that pain. I'm drinking myself to death. And then, uh, you know, I've got to, I've got to find a whole new way of relating to life. And that's going to mean that I can't, I just don't have the energy and it's actually killing me to keep trying to, you know, spin all of these plates and wear these masks, I'm going to have to be honest. But if I'm honest, are people still really going to like me? Am I going to be okay? You know, am I going to be taken care of? And like that, um, basically just to stop pursuing all of the things that the world has told me I need to have that I believed, you know, all of that kind of indoctrination and start, you know, really living life in a completely different way. It's very scary. I mean, I think it's actually, I I do think it's becoming more common. Um, You know, it used to be like, oh, the midlife crisis, I think it happens, seems to happen sooner. At least that was my, my case. But um, yeah, it's, it's very, it's very scary, but I'm also grateful to say like, 
everything amazing that's happened in my life has happened in that sort of second chapter, like after that, after that uh, hitting bottom happened. Mm-hmm. And on to on this note, I want to read something I really love. You wrote from your book. You say, "Newly divorced and sober, I was still in shock from watching all the dominoes I'd laid so carefully come crashing down into a pattern that looked nothing like I intended." I lived my life dedicated to the pursuit of what I believed happiness would entail, a career, a husband, material success, children. And I think this is a, a very much of an American dream for, for, for many women. Um, in my case, for me, I, I envisioned myself single forever, rich, um, having a lot of attention, a lot of women around me, and doing uh, a lot of drugs and drinking fancy uh, or alcohol mm-hmm. that was my idea of mm-hmm. a perfect awesome life <laughs> um so let's talk about you know you come your crashing dominoes part I kind of I come my um crashing dominoes part what was next for you how now what mm-hmm. you know oh man yeah I just want to share like hearing I've got tears in my eyes which is very rare for me I which it's great I know it is healthy like I have been so frozen it takes a lot for me to actually feel those feelings I feel like I've just trained my nervous system to just be you know a rock and um so it was the first time I had somebody actually read something back to me that I wrote which is wow um I yeah the what next was wow that you know when I think back to the time so it was almost nine nine years ago now um fortunately uh my experience with getting sober and my guess would be this is probably pretty standard is that it was it was so hard to live like like I had to throw so much energy into just okay, uh, you know, for me, like I mentioned, 12, I, 12 step meetings, that was how I was, that's how I got sober and stayed sober. And, you know, and doing the things that I was, that were suggested would help me uh, recover. And so, you know, that, that was a lot of uncomfortable things, but it kind of like gave me uncomfortable because I didn't want to do them. I didn't want to have to call other women, you know, do you mind if I swear on this? I don't know. Oh, go ahead. Okay. my guess. I'm like, fuck that. You know, like, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm completely, I'm like a raw, you know, just a bundle of raw nerve endings. I still am working. I did, I did not go to rehab. Um, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't part of my story, although it can be some parts of people's stories. But so I still, it was like, I had to go through my day, but I didn't have that gigantic dimmer switch you know, to look forward to at the end of the night when I could just numb out. And so, you know, fortunately, I didn't really have a whole lot of time or energy to think about what next, because there were so many new things that I had to do, like, go to meetings, talk to people I didn't know, you know, just kind of like, basically, Mm -hmm. just try and, you know, get, uh, you know, get, get some time together. And then, I think one of the other things that actually 
really help me, you know, like, like I mentioned, there's, I spent most of my childhood in fantasy, you know, like who wants to live in today? I want to live like five to 10 years out from now when everything is great and the world does exactly what I want. So Mm -hmm. in in a lot of ways, I mean, that was really where I also spent a lot of my time, you know, it was just kind of like, okay, I'm doing these things and I'm showing up, but you know, when I need to check out, I can still, I can still be here and look like I'm sort of, you know, look like I'm paying attention. I can do, I can do things, but, um, you know, anytime if I need an escape valve, I'm just going to be like, Oh yeah, you know, well, I mean, I basically just went back to the same kind of fantasies that I had when I was a kid. I'll get famous for this and blah, 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 you know, and, and, and I'll, I'll meet a, I'll, I'll meet a man and, you know, and I'll have kids and this, and, and it was only in this kind of, you know, living life one day at a time. And what, what I've experienced is that, you know, my life still doesn't look like that. And there are still days I have had times this week where I will start, you know, well, I, I will compare other people uh, who work at the same um, company that I do. And I will be like, I should be so much further along. I should, but, you know, I really am like, this isn't how my life should look. You know, I, I still can fall into that kind of comparing my insides to other people's outsides. And, you know, what I've had to reconcile though, is that there are also, I also know that in, in, connecting, doing, you know, doing this mindfulness work, connecting to my authentic self every day, like doing my best to try and stay in the moment and making my decisions that way versus, you know, kind of like seeing what everybody around me thinks I should do, you know, really just following my intuition. I also know that I've done things I never thought I would do. So I took a sabbatical, a couple of years ago, I took a sabbatical for more than three months spent surfing around the coast of South Africa and Mozambique. You know, that was no, that wasn't, I wasn't going to find that in my JCPenney catalog, but that was one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. Writing this book. I never thought I would be able to write a book. I thought if I was going to be an author, well, then I'd have to quit my job and do that. And that was not my experience. I, I really was able to write a book that, that I am really proud of just by waking up really early, focusing on that on the weekends, et cetera, et cetera. And so I really just have to trust, you know, some of those big ticket items like children, I don't have them. I, I actually don't even know that I want to have them, that that's truly my um, uh, dream anyway. But, you know, I'm, I am getting older. And so that decision may be made for me, but I just have to trust that like, okay, you know what, this is, I am really just choosing to trust that this is where I am right now. Again, I'm also not in a relationship. Um, you know, I, I do the work, I try and do the footwork and, you know, go on dates here and there, but it's like, I also have watched myself get healthy and I'm, I, I know what I want and I know what doesn't work for me. And so, you know, those things, it's kind of like, okay, this isn't what I thought it would look like, but you know, I'm still by going by my inner compass. This is where we're at. And so I'm trusting that this is right. And uh, that is really scary, but it's worked a lot better for me. Um, And also I've stayed sober for almost nine years. So, you know, like, I don't know. Anyway, I'm kind of like this, this is by far better than the other 
way, but yeah, I can still, I can still get sucked into that thinking pretty, pretty easily. Congratulations. Nine years. That's a long ass time. But we're not yeah. there yet. It's one day at a time. So I'm knocking on wood right now, but <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's coming. Yes. Um, and uh, maybe this is an appropriate time to swing in, you know, I tell, tell the story about the gold dust because that's the title mm. of your book. And it's, it's a really cool thing. And the camp, like, I, I want to go there. So <laughs> dive into that. Okay. Oh, I'm so glad you brought this up. Okay. So um, I went to a camp called Camp Grounded. It's a digital detox camp. And um, they're headquartered in San Francisco. And this was in uh, 2014. Um, they were actually going to open it up again this year, but then they had to cancel this year's season because of COVID. But, you know, I think there's a very good chance. It sounds like the 2021 season will be back on. So uh, definitely check out Camp Campgrounded online if you're interested. But this... Uh, I, a friend of mine had gone to this and I love summer camp when I was a kid. It was just, it was such, some of the best memories that I have were from summer camp. And so uh, I heard of this place and basically what you do for a long weekend, you go out in the redwoods of Northern California with a bunch of other people who are doing the same thing. A lot of people are from the San Francisco area. Uh, but then also people from all over the, they actually do pl- have an international poll as well. So it wasn't just all over the country. It was also international, but you go there, you turn in your technology. So you don't have your cell phone. You don't have, you know, all the things you might have to kind of keep you occupied or preoccupied. Um, mm-hmm. You don't talk about work. It's an, it's not a networking event. So they, they even shorten it and say no W talk. So you can't kind of do this. Oh, you know, the, the little, like, let's see who's more important or size each other up. Uh, mm-hmm. You uh, don't use um, time that, so you turn in watches and, and they just kind of, uh, it, that also helps free you from the restrictions of you know, kind of this, oh, I've got to be somewhere. No, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And then you don't use your real name. And I being a huge Stevie Nicks fan. And uh, when I got sober, they're like, you're going to, you don't have to believe in God. Like, it's not like that, but you do have to have, you know, you have to believe that there's something outside of you, some kind of a higher power. It can be whatever you want it to be. It can be the doorknob. It can be the, you know, this group of people, some power, it can be the ocean, you know, like I, it can be the, whatever, but, you, as long as it's not you, you know, because that's anyway. So for me, I was like, okay, well, I grew up uh, with a pretty religious background and was like, absolutely not. I am not going back to that. And um, so I decided that Stevie Nicks would be my concept of a higher power. And so uh, <laughs> when I had to come up with an, and that worked, it worked for me. And by this point in time, I'd already been sober several years. So of course my, my name would be an homage to Stevie Nicks. And so I became gold dust. And by the time I left that very first camp, I ended up going back a number of times. I, um, I felt so relaxed and so, you know, like I really had surrendered on a new level 
And, you know, I knew I was going back into the real world where I had to have a name. I had to have a W, you know, I had to interact with other people, but what it really hit me was like the person who I really am at my core is gold dust. It's this, it's how I've been for this past long weekend. And that is something I don't want to lose when I have to go back into the real world. And so my life really then continued to focus around, okay, how can I recreate as much of this as possible in my real life? How can I really tap into that gold dust part of me, that feeling? And so for, in a lot of ways, it became kind of this alter ego. And so I tell the story of how I went my first day back in the office when I went to Starbucks, this is back before you had mobile ordering or whatever. I would, Mm -hmm. um, they asked me what my name was and I had them write gold dust on my cup. And for years that was like, you know, people at Starbucks would know me uh, as gold dust, not as (laughs) Stephanie and, and, but it helped. And now today, you know, I can still remind myself of that, but I really do feel like that's fully integrated into who I am, but it, it helped me get over that fear of, well, if I'm not hiding behind these masks, am I going to be okay? And the answer that I found is yes. Even when I know there are times when uh, me being my authentic self does not necessarily keep everybody happy. And there are, you know, especially as I change, people who had related to me one way weren't necessarily happy that uh, suddenly I wasn't twisting myself into a pretzel to make them happy or whatever, you know, or, um, anyway, it's, it's, it is challenging to grow. Um, but it is worth it. And I also don't believe that we have a choice if we really want to stay alive and be present. Like, cause I've found that the only way I can deal with not evolving is to, I'm going to have to numb the pain. And so this just became easier. This, this, the pain of having to transform and grow was less than the pain that was coming along as a side effect of, of numbing and trying to prevent that adaptation from happening. Mm. And, you know, you talk about sobriety and I definitely want to touch on, on this topic a bit. Um, you and I know that we were different drinkers than perhaps the normal drinker, but I also want to, uh, maybe for people who, don't see like what what's the what's the thing with being sober like what's wrong with having a couple drinks on a weekend um you know for me that wasn't the case I many mm-hmm. times wish that I would stop after two and learn mm-hmm. finally drink like a lady mm-hmm. and so and I had no clue no freaking clue and if not a life coach that I have at the moment um two and a half years ago would have started asking me questions regarding my drinking I I was oblivious I thought I I was just a a poor little girl like poor me like life is really punishing me for hell knows Mm -hmm. what reason Mm -hmm. and I had no clue that a lot of disturbance came because of the the drinking um the amounts of drinking that I did and so um maybe this will be or not be for people for who are struggling in life and have no idea why is it so difficult? Why is it so hard to do everything and everybody's just against them, you know, and life is just unbearable. Um, Tell me a little bit more about your sobriety. Why did you get sober? Well, this is a really good question. Uh, 
So the first thing I want to say is that I could never, I have no idea anybody else. I could never, if somebody were to ask me, Hey, do you think I'm an alcoholic? I have no, I don't know. I really don't know. Only, and I believe this, like I'm the only one that can answer that for me. And that's something that everybody has to, you know, kind of figure out on their own. So uh, that's, mm-hmm. again, I'm also not a medical doctor, all of those things. Um, but why I got sober. Uh, so, you know, I had the way I grew up, um, it was like alcoholics. Okay. This is, I was like, whatever. An alcoholic is like a bum. They're like pushing around all of their, they're, they're homeless. They're pushing around all of their belongings in a grocery cart. And, um, you know, they live under a bridge and so, okay, well, I'm not there, you know, so clearly I don't have a problem. Um, and I had a therapist once who was at, at this point in time was already like thinking that my drinking was problematic. I did not see it. And she was like, um, well, if they're sober, they're actually better off than you are. And I was like, so offended, but, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, so I did not, I was, you know, it was very much in denial. And, and I worked in an industry where, um, it wasn't even the industry. It was just kind of the ethos, like, look, work hard, play hard, you know? And, and, and again, like I, that's why I can't, you know, I, I really can't say, you know, if people are hard drinkers or whatever, that's that I, it's not my wheelhouse. It's not mine to judge, but here's the thing that, that have, this is my experience. So I, after this divorce, uh, so basically I, I got divorced, uh, in like towards the end of June And like within, I think seven weeks I got sober. So it was kind of like this, this big record scratch in my life. And when I went, I had gone shortly before I got sober, I had gone back to Michigan, which is where I'm from, which is where I'm from, where my parents and sisters still live. I visited them, did the same things there when I went out drinking that I would normally do here. um, And predictably had the same kind of consequences. And so when I, my, my mother was dropping me off at the train station so I could take the train back to Chicago on, uh, like that Monday morning. And she just real quietly said, um, you might want to do something about your drinking. And for my mom who wouldn't say boo to anyone, I knew there was just something that allowed that it got to me. And I was like, holy shit, maybe this is as bad as I have been really trying hard to convince myself that it isn't. And so I had, there was a woman I worked with who I was friends with who had been sober for like five years. Her husband was, uh, had been sober a little longer than that. And he was an atheist. So I knew like, even though, you know, she told me, she was like, Hey, you're going to hear some stuff about God, but it's not what you think, you know? And, um, and so I sort of had like, logically, I was like, okay, even though I'm not, I don't want to deal with this God stuff. Um, if somebody who is a devout atheist can still, if this can work for them, then, okay, cool. Then maybe it'll work for me. And it, and it did. Um, and so what I have learned, and again, this is, this is just what works for me. If this doesn't work for you, cool. Like I, I don't have any place to tell anybody else what to do with their lives. You know, like I don't even, I can't even live my own on my own life on my own. 
So, um, but what, what made sense to me was, was hearing other people talk about this as a disease. You know, I got the concept that like, okay, there's something that's like bodily and mentally different about how an alcoholic body metabolizes alcohol. You know, I just don't, I don't have an off switch. I, and I don't, I see this because it happens with other things. Um, I am, you know, I also like, I don't have, I don't eat recreational sugar. I don't have an off switch. I don't have an ability to just eat one or two, you know, I just like, I couldn't drink one or two. And I don't know what that is, but I do know that my, like, I do so much better when it's not an option and I, and I, you know, I'm not, when I'm sober from those foods or, or alcohol, like I just can't, I had somebody, I heard somebody explain it once, it's like Russian roulette. Like, you know, I might be able to go out and have one or two drinks, but on a different night, I might have one or two drinks. That's all I plan to have. And then somehow I wake up and I'm in a blackout coming to, and like, I don't know where you know, my wallet is, I don't know where I am. I don't know who you are. I don't know, you know, like those, I mean, I've lived through those things. And so, um, so I have to under, like my body just doesn't react the way normal drinkers are. And then the other piece though, is that I have this mental obsession where even though I have not it's one thing if I have alcohol in my body, right? Because then my, my defenses are already kind of down and I'm already not operating, not playing with a full deck. But every time I would, I would swear off alcohol and go back to it, I was sober when I took that first drink. And so I couldn't blame having alcohol and sort of like a, a skewed judgment on, on having had a drink. And it's, it's that I also have this, you know, we, call it a spiritual malady, but I I basically have this thing inside me that's just like left to my own devices long enough. I want to drink. I, I want, I, it is going to take me back there because I, I, that's just how I am. It's that I just, the way the world looks to me. And, and when I start, you know, going down that path of like, I, I have no problem justifying having a drink. And I think, oh, maybe this time will be different. And, and it's not just the bad stuff, even though, let me tell you about all my self-pity and all of, you know, the stuff that I went through, I have plenty of reasons why, you know, here's why I deserve this drink. I would do it when times were good, you know, like I'm going to celebrate this. is I mean, it's like, I can find a reason. My brain will find a reason to get that drink. And, um, what, I have found in recovery is that, again, I heard somebody else explain it this way, you know, it's like there's the spring behind my, in my chest, like behind my solar plexus. And, you know, I, my default state is that it's already wound pretty tight. But as I go throughout my day, you know, somebody looks at me wrong. All right, it gets a little tighter. I start comparing myself to somebody who has a job I think I should have that spring tighten some more and on and on and on until the point where there is so much tension in me that like, I fucking need a drink. You know, I need a, I need a drink. I need a cigarette. I need, I have, you know, like I have used all of these things to, to numb out. And I, you know, I would get this feeling of just seeing the gin going down the conveyor belt at the grocery store. I would be like, oh, 
I could just feel that, that tension begin to release. And so that's the piece of this that I don't fully understand how it works, but that made sense to me because I'd felt it in my body. And what I've found is that doing the, you know, doing all of the work and connecting to people in 12 step recovery. And a part of that being having my own mindfulness practice where I'm, you know, really working with my brain, getting out of the way of my ego and getting in touch with this authentic part of myself. That's what keeps that spring from getting wound up again. You know, that's what keeps it in sort of a, you know, it, it gently over time, it, it took a long time for that to happen. But now I can walk through the world and I'm comfortable. I mean, yeah, every now and then there's still times where I'll be watching TV and see, you know, people drinking or whatever. I'm like, oh, that looks so fun. But it's like, that was not what my experience was like, you know? And what's, Mm -hmm. what's also really telling is that the last, the last time this happened, uh, I was, there was some television character I was watching and, and there was a lot of uh, drinking going on. And then, and of course it looked familiar and really great to me. And then this character ends up becoming an alcohol, like becoming an alcoholic and having to go and like that because that's what my drinking looked like it was not normal you know like but to me it still seems normal I'm like whatever so anyway I feel like I've gone on a tangent there but yeah that's that's my experience but you know far be it for me to tell other people what to do or how to get I mean that's also a rest that will also tighten the spring of my chest so I just needed I gotta stay in my lane (laughs) yeah um thanks for sharing this is so so helpful for me to hear and um, hopefully for many people. And, you know, for me, the trickiest part was that I thought everybody drank the way I did. And mm-hmm. really all of my friends, my girlfriends, my guy friends, we raged the same amount, like till 5am till seven till nine after parties. And I was like, well, this is my life. I, I, there was nobody that drank a little or didn't drink at all in my circle. Mm-hmm. And that never occurred to me that, people don't live like that, you know? Um, so yeah, the, the, the hardest part for me was letting go um, the idea of fun, fun equal mm. alcohol for me, you know, <laughs> relearning to do yes! things. Sober. Oh How does that even look? Where do I start? You know? I know. I know. Gosh. Um, oh, but I am. Um, yeah. Um, I also want to, before, um, we, we end today, I want to dive into a little bit, you know, you talked about God, trust, mindfulness, and mm-hmm. that's such a bizarre concept, you know, the God thing, and yeah, yeah. I know it sounds woo-woo, and we might sound weird talking about it, but I'm going to freaking talking about it, because it, <laughs> it saved my life, so yeah. <laughs> here we go, you know, we're going to bring it in, <laughs> okay, and good safe space seriously you have a quote in your book um i think it was by rumi or or someone else and it says you know religion is being or religious people are afraid to go to hell and spiritual people are the ones who already been there i'm like hello yes i i really relate to that quote and just a little bit about your experience how did you befriended the idea of god something higher than yourself what is that to you Um, wow. Okay. So I, um, here's what I know. It's it, for me, it was something that I had to 
feel. It, it, it was not a logical exercise. I mean, I'd been trying to, I've been trying to figure that stuff out. I know at least since high school, but probably longer than that. But I, but I can for sure say that I was wrestling with, you know, ideas. I just could not reconcile. How can there be a God when there are all of these incredibly unfair, unjust things happening? And then I added on to the fact of that, you know, having a, a growing up in a very religious um, upbringing and religious schools and, and seeing people who were supposed, you know, like seeing people uh, who said that, you know, who supposedly were like ambassadors of this, you know, of these beliefs act in ways that really disturbed me. Like I just, I wasn't, I've never been okay with that. And so I, um, <sighs> there was something about the just being at a complete emotional, spiritual, physical bottom of just, you know, complete, I was completely desperate. I did not have any will left to fight. And I was also terrified that I was not, you know, like, oh my God, what if this is true? How am I going to live without alcohol? It's clear. I can't, it's clear. I can't control it, but what the, you know, like, let alone, how am I ever going to have fun? How am I going to be able to actually hold down a job? How am I going to pay off all these student loans, blah, 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 blah. And so there was, I was in this space where I was suddenly open to new ideas, like even stuff that I was like, that's fucking ridiculous. I'm never doing that. Suddenly I was so desperate that I was willing to try things, even though I hadn't reasoned out in my brain how they were going to work. And it was, I remember going into my first recovery meeting and suddenly, you know, I was used to being in boardrooms and looking a certain way and having, you know, this very impeccable facade. And yet, you know, even if everybody in the room thought that I belonged there because of whatever, you know, I'd accomplished, I never felt like I belonged. I felt like I was a six-year-old girl, you know, wearing, uh, wearing pumps, you know, like, like I, you know, like I was just the, so my insides did not match my outsides. And I'm in this room in the basement of, uh, you know, the board of trade at the time in Chicago, there are all these people sitting around the room. Everybody went around and told their, their stories of what, you know, it was like what, what brought them into recovery. I have nothing in common with these people except my chest, like that spring again, it, it relaxed. Like I felt, I felt seen, I felt heard. I could understand exactly where they were coming from. I had never felt at home, even around some of my friends, much less complete strangers. So there was already something happening. There was something I was experiencing that was so different than anything else. And frankly, it was the only place I was actually feeling okay and like I belonged. And that was actually a feeling. I remember having a similar feeling about a decade earlier, one night, I couldn't tell you what was different about that night, but there was one night at the bar where somehow all of those things 
clicked and I finally felt on the outside and was able to act and had enough alcohol in my system that I could look and act the way I wanted to act. And I felt like I belonged and that feeling didn't even last the whole night, but I really feel like I spent the rest of my drinking career trying to chase down that, you know, those fleeting moments where I felt like I was okay in, in air quotes. And so thank God uh, there, there was enough relief in that, you know, in that kind of hour of like, oh my God, I finally feel like I'm okay after not being comfortable in my own skin for years on time. And so as, as doing, you know, pursuing recovery, a part of which for me is mindfulness and really kind of calming down the hamster wheel in my brain, as that continued to reward me with more feelings of being comfortable in my own skin, I was more willing to keep going on this spiritual path that, you know, has so far continues to work for me almost nine years later. And, you know, I, I, I put this quote in the book, but I remember hearing somebody say early on, you know, if I die and find out that I was deluding myself and all of this stuff is made up, there is no higher power. There is no nothing, you know, Oh, well, I got to live the rest of my life sober. And honestly, that is how I feel. Like I'm willing you know, let's say for some reason, oh, I'm actually not an alcoholic. And it really, it really, what my brain loves this story. Oh, you were just mm-hmm. going through a rough time. Oh, mm-hmm. you know, now, you know, oh, whatever. By the way, I would also like to point out, I have phenomenal willpower. I have done some really fucking amazing things in my life in terms of like, you know, it's kind of like I set a goal and I will doggedly pursue that. I, so willpower, tenacity have never been things that, that have been in short supply for me, but they are completely useless when it comes to uh, alcohol, smoking, uh, certain foods, throwing up. I'm also a recovering bulimic. Um, I mean, like self they don't work on my self-destruction. I cannot will myself out of self-destruction. And so that was another thing that was really baffling to me that like, oh, why can't these people get it together? Because it's not a choice. Like it's, you know, left to my own devices, that obsessive mind will have its way. So I need something outside of myself to intervene and keep, keep that hamster wheel from cranking up that quick, that, that loudly again. Um, Cause that's, that's how strong the compulsion is. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, all right, well, this, this has continued to work for me. And so it's just sort of seeing the evidence that I'm like, Hey, for me, this is working. And so, yeah, I honestly do not care if it is a complete bunch of bullshit. If I sound like a moron, if it is too woo woo, whatever, it's allowed me to live comfortably in my own skin. It's allowed me to show up. I work in the most conservative uh, environment I've ever worked in. And it is, I mean, it is cutthroat and it is like, I am really being pushed to my, my limits just this week. I, I honestly, I, I cannot describe how terrifying it's been even after all the recovery and therapy and stuff that I've done, like to, to continue being my authentic gold, the self setting those boundaries, enforcing them. Um, so at, you know, I'm still doing this work, but 
I, I'm doing it because of that mindset. And so if I die and this was all a big charade, I am completely fine with it because my, I, I, I don't know if I would even still be alive, frankly, if, uh, if I were still trying to approach this with alcohol being a solution and, you know, all my previous ways of, of trying to go through life. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, for me, I, I grew up, I, I, I could say Catholic, nobody was religious in my family, except my grandma. And I think like many of us, we come from the religious background thinking that a God is a man and it, it's up somewhere in a cloud, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> just waiting to punish little kids and people. And yes. it's all about how do I avoid that? How do I avoid that? You know, just doing things out of fear. And then I grew up, I'm like, fuck that. I'm just going to do what feels good. And God can just shut it, shovel mm-hmm. up its ass, whatever, you know? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, the idea that I even allowed the concept of, hmm, hold on a minute. Well, it sounds like I don't have to believe the, the old story I was presented. Wait yeah. a minute. I can choose who to believe. How is yeah. that? Like, that was just like ding 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 and you know a higher power to me is universe and and Mm -hmm. and you talked about universe like your higher power in your book and it's not in the form of a man or a woman Mm -hmm. however first to me it's always this concept of feminine energy nourishing motherly like mother earth and Mm -hmm. just playing with this idea allowing that to kind of wash over me and like you said it's a feeling until I begun feeling this and I have like goosebumps right now mm. the like the feeling that literally wash over my body and my psych like mind mm-hmm. like saying saying a little prayer which I didn't know how to do just asking universe can just take away this fogginess can you just help me to to be present get this anger out of me and when that started to actually work you know, yeah. sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. Mm-hmm. And when, you know, things like job shows up or a person shows up that speaks in a way that helps me to reconnect with my mother or my friend or me getting sober, you know, these, I have so many examples already that I, yes. it's just impossible to ignore. Like there is something higher than myself that I could turn to any moment in my day. Yeah. And that's, that's a gift. And, and, and you know, I, I completely relate to that. And I think you talk about relationships and this is something that I don't know if I'll be able to explain it, but um, I actually, I can't explain it because I, I don't understand how it works. But what's so crazy is that, you know, on one hand, I, I wanted everybody to love me, right? I want to be famous. I want everybody to, you know, like that's, I think that my problem is that I don't have enough love in my life, but I also am terrified of people and I really just want to be left alone because my experience is if I love you, you're going to hurt me. And so what, so what I find to be so crazy is that, you know, right now I don't really, I I have no clue about the higher power, whatever. I'm just kind of like, I'm fascinated by um, quantum physics and things like that. So I'm like, or quantum, you know, quantum mechanics. And uh, I'm thinking, I just sort of think that like the Higgs boson, you know, like the God particles, that's, I mean, I've, I have, uh, 
reached out to that thought before of like, okay, mm-hmm. whatever that is, you know, like who, I don't, who the fuck knows. And it doesn't matter. But what I find is that I, there is something about, I am now willing to let other people in. I am willing to ask other people for help. I am willing to tell people both in the, inside the rooms and outside the rooms of like how I'm really doing, what's really going on with me and, and to be okay with, you know, maybe they can show up and want to have a relationship with me or maybe not. And that is, it's like, that's where I'm finding that power from of like that feeling of I'm not alone. So for me, it's like, yeah, I'm gold dust. You know, I feel like, oh, I've got this, you know, this, whatever this life force is inside me, but also realizing that everyone has that. And for me, especially in the workplace, when I can remember, you know, even if somebody is triggering me beyond belief, I, when I have done my work and can even in that moment ground myself, you know, just like kind of mentally ask, you know, the universe to help me get out of my own way and I can remember that I am, I am the person that I'm arguing with or sitting across from has, is also, you know, a human being too. And we have that same human component. It allows me to kind of get out of my ego and, and, you know, it's still, the conversation might not go the way that I want, but there's a better chance that I'm going to relate to them when I'm, when I'm sort of seeing them for the full human being you know with that kind of spiritual spiritual being in material form than if I you know I'm just painting them as oh he's an asshole or oh she's a bitch you know those kinds of things that sort of dehumanize people and so um you know that's not easy to do but I don't have to do it alone and as I continue to you know allow myself to fall apart and be more honest about who I am with the people in my life, the kind of paradox of like, oh, I actually don't have to, I don't have to be eternally strong. I don't have to do all of this on my own. And I'm also not alone, like continues to be, to show me, yeah, I am being taken care of. So even though I still don't understand it, it, it works. And I, I trust it enough that even, you know, I've been in some dark places since then. It's not like it's all been this great uphill trajectory, but Mm -hmm. It's, I, there, there is, those new ruts are getting deeper every day and I'm changing. I'm showing up to the world differently and it gives me enough, you know, it gives me enough of my own evidence to say, okay, well, you know, even when I'm purely just making a choice, even though my feelings don't necessarily go along with it, like, okay, I'm going to act as if that I believe everything is happening is the way it should, even if I don't agree with it or understand it right now and may, may never understand it in this lifetime, like that still is serving me. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. We are on a beautiful journey, my friend. And um, I, I know like the connection with my higher power is, is just the beginning and it's a lifetime relationship. It's, it's the most, most important relationship I've ever had. Um, and it's not always easy, like you said, but it's, um, it's a gift and it's so rewarding when I allow that power to really come to me and um, guide me. You know, the yeah. surrendering process is yeah. every day. 
yeah okay just practicing doing my best you know yes yeah yeah that's all that's required we don't have to earn this which is amazing (laughs) exactly I know okay (laughs) yeah and you know I love this one man said you know before I am a god of of my mother, um, I'm I'm a god of, not God. Before I'm a child of my mother, I'm a child of God first, and that mm. I love. We're all children really of this, um, yeah, yeah, this love and God, universe. It's it's love. It's it's just yeah, goodness. it is. I believe that, and I think that yeah. for me makes it. It's kind of like okay, you know, there's either love or fear, and that's how I see the world, and it's like. I continue to choose love wins. Yeah. Love always. Stephanie, thank you so much again. Thank you so much. This has been an honor and I'm so proud of you and I'm so grateful to be on this journey with you. And, and I'm excited, like, I'm excited to hear more of, of more of your conversations with other people too. So sending you much love, Sammy. Same. Um, can't wait to see you in person. Yes, yeah. I know. I know. All right. Okay. okay. Have a great weekend. Thank I'll you, talk to you, you later. Too. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. Hey, it's me again. If you like this podcast and you're moved by it and it helped you and it resonates with you, then subscribe and leave me a nice review. It means so much to me. And more importantly, it helps other people to find this podcast.